Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 1. Hyphen and Excel, they are dismissed, amen, as you can see. Now the half a dozen or so of us that are left, amen. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to read a few scriptures here, about eight or nine. I think it's good that we stand, not all the time, but certainly when we are reading some of the weightier things that will be said about our Lord and Savior, amen, and Revelation, certainly would be good to honor that, amen. Revelation chapter 1, something that has always been driven into me is, remember, it is Revelation, not Revelations. This is one revelation of Jesus Christ, amen, to John, amen, on the Isle of Patmos. Beginning with verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, and this is Jesus himself speaking, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Amen. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for your word. So glad, God, for this opportunity and ability, Lord, to be in your house, to hear your word, to worship together, Lord, with church family and friends, God. We want you, Lord, to bless all that are here tonight, Lord Jesus, and your word as it goes forth in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We tonight, as I promised, we are going to cover Well, we will not cover all seven of them, I guarantee you. Otherwise, I will look up and you all will be gone. Amen. Because we will be here for a couple of hours. So we we just simply don't have the time to cover all seven of them. But I did talk to Pastor. Amen. And he said soon he will give the opportunity that we will finish these. I'm going to try and get through as many as four of them. May not quite make that. We may just get through three. But we're going to talk about the churches that are listed in the book of Revelation. Amen. They are not randomly placed there, nor is anything else that is written in this holy book. Can I get an amen? But these churches, praise the Lord, uh, God saw fit that there were uh, some issues going on in them, some some credit that they needed to be given, as well as some things that they needed correcting on. Amen? And the good thing about this is God has taken the time to specifically and in detail speak to these seven churches, amen, in Asia Minor, which we would know as Turkey today. But he has taken that time, not just so that he can help them or commend them, amen, but that we can also, he that hath an ear, let him hear. You're going to hear that a few times tonight. 
that we can also learn from these churches. The seven of them are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Amen. These were uh, written to and God spoke to John while he was or while he was uh, stranded on the island of Patmos and he began to reveal to him some things and so much so that he said, John, I want you to write these things down. I want you to put them in a book and I want you to send them to the churches. Isn't that, isn't that awesome that God is that personal that he cares about each and every one of his churches? Can I get an amen? He cares about the lighthouse, amen? Not just the lighthouse. We are not the only church, amen? But he cares about this church. He, he cares and he keeps our pastor, which he he told us was the angel, amen, he said the seven angels, uh, or the seven stars in my hand are the seven angels, amen, they represent the pastors, or we can generic, make it a little more generic and say that they are the messengers to the church, he said they are in my hand, I protect them, I keep them, they, they also, he said in my right hand, I guess I should hold this hand out, they are in my right hand, which represents power and authority, it represents that not only are they part of his power and his authority, and they are going to be an extension there of, but that they are also under his protection, and they are under his care, and if you try to uh, come against a man, one of his messengers, a man, well, I pity you, or I pity the fool, as Mr. T used to say, amen, sorry, you have to forgive me, once in a while, I'll 80s flashback, but then he said the seven candlesticks that you see, a man, are the churches, and he said, so I've got the messengers in my hand, and I've got the and I'm walking among the churches. I'm so glad that God chooses to walk among his churches, amen, and visits us on a regular basis. We sang the song just a few minutes ago, you are welcome in this place, amen. I don't think that we mean to welcome God as a guest, amen. We don't want him to just visit us. He is the master of this house, amen, and we welcome him, amen, to deal with us as he sees fit, don't you? Amen. So the the one important thing that I... that um, maybe my thinking has changed a little bit. I don't think it's my thinking, but my understanding is I want you to remember this because I used to read, Brother Miller, I used to read these, these uh, letters to the churches and, and Sister Sorrels, I used to think, well, God is saying I approve of this church and I disapprove of that church and I'm picking on that church a little bit and I'm, I'm going to, this is the one that's saved and that one's not the one that's saved. And that's just, you know, if you read them and you look at them really close and you do any bit of, any bit of research and study on these seven churches, you're going to find out that these aren't seven churches where some of them are accepted and some of them are not accepted. These are seven churches. Amen. They are just churches, praise God, just like you and I. Uh, uh, and, and in those churches, yes, there were some problems. And in some of them, there were great problems. But even in the ones where there were great problems, and I'll get to some of this whenever we get into more of the detail, but even in the ones where there are, were what we would say were great problems, there were still folks within those churches that were holding strong and staying steady, and they were keeping to the message, amen, and they were staying true to God, amen? So while they... While we would like to say of these seven churches, well, there's a good church and there's a bad church, I think we ought to just say there are the churches, amen? And I think we can say that even among the ones that we see today. Can I get an amen? The churches, or the letter actually to the churches is broken down into seven 
different, amen, um, sections. And I'm not going to cover them. I'm not going to remind you of that every time we get into a letter. But I do want to start out by letting you know that. He starts out with greetings, amen, for each of the seven churches. He will greet them differently. There, he will give a, a descriptive title for himself, amen. And he is going to say, uh, you know, I, I am the one that was alive, or was dead and is now alive, amen. And he describes himself different to every different church, amen, because as we know, churches take on personalities, and churches have their own um, um, unique things that God needs to deal within that church, amen. What, uh, Brother Peters, you and I talked a little bit last night, what works for Lighthouse might not work for the church down the road, and what, what is happening down at the church uh, up the road, amen, may not happen here, or it may not be happening here yet. So God sometimes has to identify himself in a different way to different churches according to their needs, and I'm glad that he is personal in that way, aren't you? He'll give insights into the life of those seven churches. He'll give criticisms if necessary for the individual churches as well as he gives them some credit, amen. And then he will give them warnings and instructions, amen, on the things that they are not doing correctly and that they need to fix, and amen, I, I've got good news for you. He gives them the opportunity to fix them. There will be some final exhortations and then, of course, the promises and assurances that he gives them if they get things straightened out. Let's start Revelation chapter 2, amen, beginning with verse 1. Uh, I will, uh, I, and we will cover reading these eventually, but I'm going to teach them going scripture by scripture, so I don't want to read it and then teach and read it while I'm teaching, amen, and it gets redundant to you, praise the Lord. I want to cover as much of this as we can tonight and as thoroughly as we can as well. The, the church called Ephesus was the first one that Jesus wrote the letter to, amen, and we're talking about the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, amen. Uh, I already covered it. He told us that he reminded us that the seven stars, if you'll remember, are the messengers. The seven lampstands are the church. And the thing that he points out here from right from the get-go is that, the, the, that he is walking among us. He is walking in and out of his churches. He is visiting them. He is addressing them. Amen. And thank God for that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Amen. He's giving them their credit right here where he is saying, you have done all of these things, and these are, these are the things that you're doing right. You are, you're, you're working. You are willing to labor. You are patient, amen. You, are, you, you, you can't bear those or you don't put up with those that are evil. You are Those that are liars, amen. You are trying them. You are testing them. And when you find them to be liars, you're not putting up with that. You're doing a good job there. I'm thankful. He says, I'm giving you credit for being patient. I'm giving you credit for working. I'm giving you credit for being willing to labor. Amen. And I'm also glad that you're not tolerant of those that are liars, those that are uh, false, bringing false witness. Amen. And he says, but the greatest thing about the fact that you are doing all of these things is the fact that you are not getting tired of doing them. Amen. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes doing right and doing well and doing good, sometimes it be does become a labor. Sometimes it does become hard work. And I don't know about you, but once in a while, 
I will find myself sitting on the bed wondering, amen, uh, kind of getting tired and needing that, that respite from the Lord and needing a, a renewal and a refreshing from Him. You know why that is? It's because you and I are in a dark world and we are trying to be a light that burns bright and sometimes the, the oil starts to get low and sometimes we get tired and sometimes we get weary and, and I don't know about you, Brother Miller, but once in a while, uh, sometimes I just want to stop folks on a job site and just say, man, just stop talking like that. Give me a break for a minute will you amen once in a while when we're in the news or we, we're seeing all of the all of the murders and the tension and the the violence amen in this world because we know the news doesn't report anything good sometimes you just want to cover your eyes and, and and I think that this this might be a great thing to do once in a while but shut the blinds and turn the radio off and shut the TV off and put the newspapers away and turn the devices off and refuel your battery in the spirit amen that's why prayer and a relationship with God is so absolutely essential his his credit that he was giving to them is that you're not only laboring you're not only working you're not only patient you're not only uh, intolerant of those that are false or that those, those that are liars, but he said, the good thing is you're not getting tired of doing that. And so he gave them their credit. But in verse 4, he says, nevertheless. In other words, what he's saying is, all of those things are great, but I've got to talk to you about a couple of things. I've got to give you a nevertheless, amen, in this moment. He says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Let me point out, and I'm going to do this occasionally while we're talking about these churches. I'm going to, I'm going to grab a word out of there because you've you got to understand that Jesus has taken the time to write a letter to people, and he's not going to accidentally say things, amen? He doesn't accidentally say them to you and I. He doesn't accidentally say them to Paul. He doesn't accidentally say them to the churches, amen? He's writing this letter. He's being very intentional in the words that he is choosing and the direction that he is trying to move, amen? And so what he says to Ephesus is this. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You haven't lost your first love. You have left your first love. That's crucial, amen. What is the first love, first of all? Let's, let's think about that and maybe, maybe analyze that. The first love is this. And, and we heard it in the commandments. What are the greatest of the commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your minds, with all your heart soul and strength or however that goes but love God with everything that's within you and then love your neighbor like yourself so what is the first love loving God and loving his people amen so what what are what is Ephesus doing what does he have against Ephesus in this point amen he is in effect saying amen that that you have walked away from you have gotten so busy in working so busy in laboring so busy in in in, in calling people out and keeping them on the straight and narrow and trying to keep them from right and wrong and, and deciphering what is false and what is true. You're so busy doing those things that you've allowed yourself to walk away from that first love that was inside of you that said, I'm going to love God with everything that's within me. That everything that I'm doing for Him and for the kingdom I'm doing because I love Him. Amen. Not just because it's a job. Not just because it's my Christian responsibility. Amen. But He's saying, you have left that. You have walked away from that. You have almost, uh, if you will, abandoned it. You've, you've laid it down and gotten over here and gotten busy. Amen. Anybody ever been too busy for the kingdom? I have a couple of times. I've been too busy. Amen. Needed to give some things up, walk away from some things. Amen. The, the busy work and getting, trying to 
keep up and get things done, amen, with the church or with life or with family, amen, ended up replacing what my ultimate original responsibility is, and that is to love God and love his people. Amen? Amen. We can't be so busy that we're neglecting, amen, what it is that God wants us to originally do. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He was saying, reflect back, amen, to when you first got started in this thing. How many remembers when you first got in church? I remember when I first started coming around. I, mean, I remember first, first church whenever I was a kid. I do remember a lot of things about that. But I remember when I really, really got this thing and this thing really got a hold of me. I remember that specifically. He said, I want you to remember from where you have fallen. In other words, I want you to reflect back to where you started. Because although you've been working hard, you've been laboring, you've been doing the right things, and I've given you the credit for doing those things, you got to do that. He's like, you have actually gotten into a lower point of living with me, amen, because you stopped loving me and you stopped loving my people. Quite, that's quite, a, quite a, a, an accusation, amen, for God to make to them. So he's telling them, here's how you, here's how you remedy your situation. Look back and remember where you started. Remember why you started working. Remember why you started studying. Remember why you started praying. Remember why you started coming to church in the first place. It wasn't because of the busy stuff or the responsibilities or any of those kinds of things. It was because, man, when this thing got a hold of you, they couldn't stop you from teaching a Bible study. They couldn't stop you from telling a co-worker about Jesus. They couldn't stop you from showing up at prayer meeting, amen, no matter what day of the week or what time of night it was. We used to have prayer meeting every Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Amen. They couldn't stop us, Sister Sorrels, from being there. There'd be a couple hundred people in that prayer meeting. Amen. I wish that we would we would grab a hold of that first love here. Amen. At Lighthouse, praise God, where we have our Tuesday night prayer meetings at 7:30, and we'd have more than half a dozen or 10 or 12. Amen. I think it'd be great, amen, if we walked in this house and we had half the congregation, three-fourths of the congregation. I don't think it's too much to ask that everybody that goes to this church shows up to a prayer meeting. Amen. That's part of your first love when they when you first got in this thing they couldn't stop you amen from doing what it was that you needed to do they couldn't stop you from telling somebody amen about the lord he says repent here's how you remedy the situation don't just remember from where you have fallen because you've been going this way what does the word repent mean turn around he says don't just remember but repent turn around Get back to, and he, and he lists, and, and now he talks about, amen, he, he talks about right there in verse 5, he mentions first works, amen. He says, get back to your first works, praise the Lord. Prayer and fasting and fellowship, reading and studying, reaching and caring and loving our number, uh, our neighbor, amen. Keep in mind, I want you to hear this phrase. I don't know if you're keeping notes or anything like that. This is something I felt like the Lord impressed on me. Keep in mind, it is our first love of God and his people that prompts us to do our first works. Prayer, fasting, studying, coming and being together, amen, faithful to church. It's our first love that prompts us to do the first works, and it's our first works that keeps us in our first love. 
It's not enough to just fall in love with this thing. It's not enough to get that initial experience and be in love and on fire and then six months or a year or two years or even ten years, it fizzles out and you find yourself dead and dried up, amen. And the Bible says plucked up by the roots, amen. It's, it's not enough to just fall in love, amen. But stick with those first works. Stay in prayer. Stay in fasting. Stay in the word of God. You know why? If you do those things, you'll never leave your first love. You'll stay genuinely and sincerely in love with your Savior. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus Sort of wraps it up with a positive note to Ephesus, Ephesus in verse 6. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We'll talk about the Nicolaitans a little later. They're mentioned. A lot of these things are mentioned in, in multiple times in, in some of the other churches, praise the Lord. But the Nicolaitans were, they were a... Uh, they felt like they were kind of a higher authority. They were above everybody. They were separatists, which means they liked to keep the races apart. They like to keep the genders apart. They like to say we're better than that group. That's what the Nicolaitans were. And, and Jesus commends Ephesus because he says, you, uh, you, hate, you hate that spirit. You hate the spirit and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. You hate to keep people separated and single out. He said, I hate that too. Amen. And that's kind of how he wraps up. Amen. He says, amen. He who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, this is for everybody, what the Spirit says to the churches, to whom, uh, to who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's move on to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Smyrna, amen. If you want to, I don't know how many are taking notes, or if anybody is, or if you're doing things in your, on your device where you're just making little notes, amen. Uh, my Bible, and I like to title these different churches as the Bible does, Amen. Ephesus was labeled as the loveless church. Amen. If you want to put that uh, in some one of your sidebars there somewhere. Smyrna, amen, would be labeled, or, or I would label it, the persecuted church. Amen. Smyrna, if you will, in Revelation chapter, chapter 2, verse 8, this was a wealthy trade city, amen, that had deep roots in idol worship. Well, we're talking about the city right now. We're not necessarily talking about the church, amen. The church was in Smyrna, amen. And they, in fact, they had temples that were dedicated to some of the Roman or Greek uh, mythological gods, amen, that we know as Zeus and um, Aphrodite was there, Apollo was there, amen. They had temples, great temples that were built, amen, to those things. So the church in Smyrna, amen, even though... This was an extremely wealthy city, amen, uh, even though that it was, a, it was a big trade city. It's where they had all kinds of goods that came in and out of the city. They were very, very wealthy there in Smyrna. But the Bible tells us that the, the church that was there in Smyrna, amen, was actually lived in abject poverty. They were very, very poor, amen. And, uh, and the reason for that was that, they were greatly persecuted there in that city. All of those, uh, all of the Roman Empire was that was there. All of the Greek mythology that they were involved in. All of the worship, the, the false worship that they were involved in. Amen. 
they became, they became persecuted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They lost their jobs. They weren't allowed to work. There were people that robbed them and took from them, that looted them. Amen. So the church there in Smyrna was actually lived in great abject poverty. Amen. Romans chapter 2 verse 8 says this, And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. See, he's introducing himself. This is a, 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 an introduction to them because he felt like the church there at Smyrna needed a great deal of encouragement. Imagine if you are a church in a city where everybody is wealthy and well-to-do and, and they have the luxuries of life, but because you believe in the gospel, but because you stand for the truth, they're allowed to rob you and fire you and kick you out of your job and, 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 and amen, not, not allow you to partake in the, in the great things that they had there in their city, amen. They weren't allowed to trade or anything. So this introduction, remember I told you he'll introduce himself in different ways to different churches. His introduction to them, knowing how down they must have felt, amen, about, praise the Lord, their situation. He says, I'm the one that was dead and yet liveth. He's starting out with an encouragement to the church in Smyrna. Don't worry, it gets better. Don't worry, one day, even if you die in this life and you pass and you never have anything, amen, that, that, you, can, that you can call your own, it's going to one day be better, amen. Uh, how many look forward to heaven? How many looking forward to being with Jesus, amen? Even if you have great things on this earth, amen, the life to come, amen, is going to be so far better than this, amen. You've heard preachers say it to exhaustion, amen. The things that we hold valuable, the gold and the silver and all of the precious stones and things like that, they will be building materials in heaven, amen. The things that we hold dear and the things that we consider precious, in fact, we call them precious metals and precious stones, amen. The things that we hold dear to us and we hold we uh, uh, put a great deal of value upon amen in heaven they will mean nothing the streets will be paved with it amen the walls will be built with it we'll walk on it we won't have any need of it amen that's the encouragement that he's giving to Smyrna he's saying to the church in Smyrna you may never have anything in this life but you have me is what he is saying amen Verse 9, he says it like this, I know your works, and this is where he's giving them their credit. And, and I want to say, by the way, that Smyrna is one of only two churches that God doesn't have any correction for. This is one of, one of only two churches that he's only giving credit to and, and encouragement to. He doesn't have anything to gripe to them about, amen. Listen to this in verse 9, I know your works, your tribulation, and poverty. But watch this, he says, but you are rich. And I know, you know what he's saying there? When he says, I know, he says, you, you think you're in poverty. You think you don't have anything right now. But what you are rich in is grace and mercy. Because I know, he says, I know, I'm aware of your situation. I'm aware of your ailments. I'm aware of your aches and pains. I'm aware of your heartaches, Smyrna. I know that you feel like you're beaten down. I know that you feel like you're losing out. I know that you don't get to, to partake of the things that puts a smile 
smile on everybody else's face, amen. But I'm here to tell you, you may be poor, you may be in abject poverty, financially speaking, but you are rich. These are the words from Jesus to the church of Smyrna that has nothing in the bank account. You're rich. You know why? You've got my grace and my mercy. You've got, amen, my favor in your life. I, I wink upon you. I look to you. I'm there whenever you need strength, praise God. You haven't gone hungry yet. Maybe you didn't eat what you wanted to eat, amen, but you haven't gone hungry yet. You know why? You're rich, amen, because I am with you. He says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10, he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, he's saying, as a matter of fact, this is, not, this is not a myth. It's not a rumor. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you, amen, the crown of life. There are two types of crowns that are given, amen, probably in life, amen, but certainly in the word of God. One crown is a crown that is given to a king and it, it symbolizes his royalty. He's the only one that gets to wear it. it. It's the one that singles him out, amen. But there's another crown that we talk about in the word of God and that is a crown that is a reward, amen. It's not just a reward, but it's a trophy. He was saying to them, in the end, if you can stick it out, if you can get through the 10 days of tribulation that represent, there, there's two things it could represent, either 10 years or it could represent, you know, because he was talking about Satan is going to have them thrown in prison. It could have represented 10 years or it could have represented 10 uh, uh, emperors, amen. It doesn't really matter what he was saying was at the end of that at the end of that tribulation at the end of that test and that trial I'm going to give you a trophy I'm going to put on you a man a, 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 a reward and a trophy that lets everybody know particularly your spirit amen your beaten down spirit that lets everybody around you know amen that you're on the winning side that you're on my winning team that I know what you're going through and I'm with you and you may not have everything but you're rich and you're going to get a trophy amen how many are excited about that verse 11 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death obviously the second death is referring to hell and the lake of the fire jesus was simply reassuring the church there in smyrna you're not going to the lake of fire amen isn't that awesome to be a church that you know we we, I guarantee you if that, was, if that was us today and this church was in poverty and folks were robbing us and we were getting fired from our jobs and we weren't allowed to go places because we were Christians, amen. Sister Soros, I guarantee you we would interpret that as we are out of the will of God. I wish I could get one, one or two people would. You mean, we would interpret that because we, we do that. We, we kind of judge a lot of times God's favor on what's going on in our life or what we have or don't have, amen. It's not measured that way, folks. God is on our side. We have to know that he knows. We have to know that whether we're rich or poor or sick or healthy or on the mountaintop or we're walking in the valley, God knows where we are and we're on the winning side and one day we're going to get a trophy that is going to outweigh any of the values or riches that we hold dear to in this life amen let's go to the third church the church in Pergamos Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 through 17 this one amen and this is one that well I tell you if we 
really focused and spent some time, we could really beat up on Pergamos, amen, and, and rightfully so. They, they've got some problems, but I'm really encouraged by the way things wrap up. This is one of the churches that I would have said, you know, in, in my, uh, my old understanding, I would have said Pergamos just didn't going to make it. I mean, God doesn't like them. He's mad at them. They're doing all, they got all kinds of false things in the church, and he's, boy, he's just he's going to torch that place. He's getting ready to roll gas on it, and goodbye Pergamos, amen. But we're, we're going to see some pretty encouraging things here, at least encouraging to me, amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 and to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, and this, this church is going to be labeled, if you're taking notes, the compromising church. This is the compromising church. These things say, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is how Jesus introduces himself, amen, in his letter to Pergamos. I'm introducing myself as he who has the two-edged sword. In other words, he's about to cut some things away. He's about to get kind of harsh with you, Pergamus. He's getting ready to let you know that there's an edge on that sword, amen. He's getting ready to hurt your feelings just a little bit. He's coming to them, amen, with his word. That's what's important. He's not going to just come to them with criticism and slapping them around and getting on to them and being, being a, 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 any kind of tyrant, amen. But he says, I'm coming to you with the two-edged sword that comes out of my mouth, which was mentioned in, or earlier in chapter 1, praise God. And that's the word of God. He says, I'm going to come to you with the word of God. All of the things and the issues that you've got going on, we're going to sort it out with my word. We're not going, to, we're not going with opinion. We're not going with commentary. We're not going with rumor. We're not going with anything else. He says, I'm going to come to you, and we're going to solve these issues with my word. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Is this okay? Amen. He says in verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And Now, these are, these are the things that they get credit for. Remember, he starts out with that. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus, in giving them credit, starts out with, with the credit that he gives them in recognizing the difficult culture that they were trying to survive in. In many ways, if you will. In many ways, Pergamos was a stronghold of Satan. There was some satanic powers that were going on there. There were some spiritual strongholds that had been built up in Pergamos. And Jesus, even though we're going to find out they had some real problems, he gives them credit in saying, you held fast to my name. You, you, you stayed clinging, amen, to my faith. You didn't give up on it. He's saying, I realize the culture that you're living in. I realize the city that you're trying to survive in, that things are very, very difficult. And I'm going to give you credit because you have done pretty well yeah I commend you for holding on to my name I commend you for not allowing your faith to fail I commend you that all of the things that have come against you the strongholds that are in your city that you have stayed strong in my name and leaning on my name amen verse 14 he says but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam amen who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed, sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Amen. He said, there in your church, 
You have those and some of you that are following the error of the spirit of Balaam, amen, that there were those of you that had tendencies toward idol worship and sexual immorality. See, the story of Balaam, and you may know the, 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 the story most familiar by Balaam and his donkey was the one that stopped and his donkey was the one that spoke to him. The reason being is because Balak came to Balaam asking him, tell me what I've got to do to, to defeat a man, th this house of Israel. And so what Balaam did was sought God and tried to get God's permission, amen, to do that and he wouldn't do it. So Balaam tried to compromise. And Balaam decided that he was going to go ahead and try to marry a couple, try to marry God's will with Balak's will and somehow say, well, I'm still fulfilling the will of God, but you know what? Balak's going to get his way as well. And what will happen there, I'll get paid. I'll be blessed and I'll get paid and I'll have all kinds of fame and riches and all the things that were promised to him, amen, by that man. So what God was saying was, you have those that are among you that are trying to marry my spirit and trying to enjoin it with the spirit of the world. The things that will cause my kids to fall. The things that will cause them to have great harm and damage in the spirit. He called that a spirit of Balaam. You know why? Because they were compromising. They, were, uh, uh, they had found themselves in a position where they were, they, were, they were doing some things right. They were holding on to some very strong things. He said, you've held on to my name and you've not allowed your faith to fail. That's some pretty strong credit right there but even as strong as they were being even as hard as it seemed that they were standing there was another side to Pergamos that was allowing too many things to take place within the church amen and they were turning their eye they were tolerating they were becoming amen uh, 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 compromising if you will amen to those that were around around them to in order to maintain amen any level of purity because that was one of his accusations the the immorality and the, and the idol worship. In order in that time, because of the, the way the Roman Empire was, in order for them to maintain any kind of purity, it was genuinely swimming against the current. The Pergamus, that city of Pergamus, had embraced such immorality, amen, that, that it, it had become the norm. Does that sound like a day that we live in, church, amen? That immorality had become the norm. Man, folks were, were, were sleeping together as forms of worship to false idols and they were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols amen and they were doing all kinds of things in fact if you study any of the the Roman Empire back in that day you'll find out that they thought it was weird that you were an outcast you were a, an outlier as somebody once said amen if you weren't partaking in immorality and fornication and idol worship. They thought something was wrong with you. You can look that up. That's in history. They thought something was wrong with you. So the problem with the church of Pergamos that they were having was, yeah, they had the name, and yeah, they had great faith in God, but they were starting to, uh, a, a man, become subject to the environment around them. They were starting to feel like outcasts. They were starting to feel like they were the, the church on the wrong side of the road or on the other side of the 
tracks, if we can refer back to our history, amen, that they were beginning to think, are we indeed the outcast? They were getting tired of the world looking down their nose at them, telling them that they were haters, that they were, uh, uh, amen, that they were wrong, that they just didn't understand, that they were, uh, you can use any of the words uh, that they use on us now. One of, one of the famous one is homophobic, amen. They like to label Christians as being homophobic if we try to stand for the faith that has been given to us in the word of God. Those are just labels, amen, that the world around us is, is trying to because there's a spiritual stronghold in the world today, the God of this world, Satan himself, that has tried to promote these things so that it becomes uh, weird or out of the normal if you're not accepting of those things. Amen? So Pergamos was giving into that type of mentality where everywhere they went, they were the ones that were the weird ones. They were the outcasts. Amen. He said, you have also among you the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So now you not only have the spirit of Balaam going on in your church where you're, you're, you're being immoral and you're, you're worshiping idols, but you're also starting to become separatists. You're also starting to make elite groups where you're keeping people separate. You're saying, you, you belong over here and you belong over there and this is our group. And there's that separation. There's that division, if you will. God hates division. Amen. He is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love the rich more than he loves, amen, the poor. He does not love, amen, uh, a black better than white or white better than black. There's not a race or a gender or a financial uh, background that God is more approving of. He loves everybody. He does not approve of that Nicolaitan spirit, amen, or the teaching or the practices that they were bringing in the church that was dividing people, amen, among those things, amen. And so, he told them, I hate that, that is, that is in your church. And so here's the remedy once again, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone on the stone, a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Once again, Pergamus, the, the, the church in Pergamus, amen, the remedy is you've got to repent. You've got to get away from that. You've got to give that up. You've got to get your edge back, amen. And he says, uh, I will give him a white stone. This one that decides that he's going to turn away from those things and not just hold the name, not just keep the faith, but it's going to stop tolerating, going to stop compromising, going to stop... Uh, trying to act like they live above somebody, amen. He says, for those of you, I'm going to give you a white stone, amen. In the ancient, amen, uh, times of the, of the Jews, amen, that white stone took on many meanings and purposes. Watch, I want you to see some of the meanings and purposes that a white stone took on, took on in that culture. It could, me, it could be you could get a white stone, amen, if you were getting an invitation to a banquet or a celebration. It could be a sign of, of, of an eternal friendship. It could be evidence of having been counted. In other words, they're taking a census. You got your white stone because you've been counted. Amen. Or it could be a sign, amen, of an acquittal in a court of law. 
I don't know which one of those, Brother Miller, that Jesus meant when he said, if you repent and you turn away from that, amen, then I'm going to give you a white stone. But you know what? If Jesus is having a banquet, I want to be there. If Jesus is taking roll, I want my name called, amen. If there's somebody's going to be acquitted in a court of law, give me that white stone, amen. If anybody, praise the Lord, is going to be accounted for or become or, or be noted as a friend, an eternal friendship with God, give me the white stone, amen. If you've got these things going on in your life, if, if he's like he said in the church of Pergamos, if you are compromising, if you are starting to become tolerant of false doctrines, amen, if you are letting down on holiness and separation, praise God, if you're getting friendly and you're getting more understanding of the mixing and the confusing of genders, amen, I'm going to encourage you today. Yes, you may have the name, and yes, you may have the faith, praise God, but you had better stop compromising. You had better get yourself separate, amen, from the world, praise God, and you had better learn, praise the Lord, that there is a right way and there is a wrong way and you had better repent of those things and get back to if we can go back to Ephesus get back to your first love and get back to your first works of prayer and fasting and get in the closet and get back to church as often as the doors are open in prayer meeting and Bible study and all of those things and he says I'll give you an invitation to the banquet I'll call you a friend I'll count you among the number hallelujah and if you ever find yourself being being in a court of law and I'm not talking about in this world I'm talking about in the spirit where you have found yourself sinful and you have found yourself condemned. He said, don't you worry, because if you'll repent, I'll bring you that white stone and you'll be acquitted of all the wrongdoings. You know why? His blood covers a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. He didn't just die, hallelujah, for the good or the bad. He died for us all. Amen. The rebuke to Pergamos was much like the one that Paul was giving to the Corinthians. Amen. You, if, you, if you study any of the epistles to the churches, there were times where the apostles, uh, the apostle Paul and others, amen, were actually trying to correct the churches. In fact, we've taught on the gifts of the Spirit in this church. The whole reason and meaning that Paul taught on the gifts of the Spirit to the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, amen, is because they were misusing and abusing them, amen. So a lot of times the teaching that goes on in the Bible, amen, is to correct those things. So the rebuke to Pergamos was just like Paul was giving to the Corinthians whenever they were getting tolerant and dismissive of the actions uh, of those that were populating their churches. In so many words, Jesus was saying to them, you have lost your edge, Pergamos, and your willingness to say no. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Pergamos, you've lost your edge and your willingness to say no. We as a church more so today than I believe maybe in any other generation, have got to be willing to say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we've got to say that is right and that is wrong. And whatever happens, whatever relationship gets severed, or whoever wants to walk away from me, amen, I've got to stand on the two-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of God. I can only stand on the word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's cover one more. I think we've got time. Amen. I'm glad that we're going to get to four of them. Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. If you're going to label this one, label it the corrupt church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 says this, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things say the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like, like fine brass. Look at this introduction. It's, it's not a coincidence that the introduction, amen, this time Jesus lets them know right off the bat of, of his deity and his authority. This, 
These things says the Son of God. Amen. I was so excited when I read this. Amen. Because the Bible, and, 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 and back in the ancient, uh, the ancient Hebrew, amen, and among the Jewish people, any time that they refer to something as the Son of something, amen, it has meant that that thing has, that those, whatever you're referring to, has the nature of that thing. Isaiah 57 and 3 said they referred to a group of men, a group of people there, and they said they have they are sons of the sorceress. How many's ever read that? Okay, good. <laughs> that they are the sons of the sorceress. You know what that means? He was saying that the people he was addressing have the nature of a sorceress. In Mark chapter 3, amen, verses 17, the disciples are referred to as sons of thunder. In other words, they're saying, man, the, the way that they preach, the way that they are impacting, the way that they are moving and the things that they are doing, they have the, they are kind of kind of have the nature of thunder. Watch this. Jesus refers to himself as the son of God. Hallelujah. Man, I wish you I wish you had put it together already cuz I'd have seen your light, your face light up. He was saying right off the bat, I am deity. I am the authority. I am God. Hallelujah. When he says specifically, and any time that the apostles in the in the epistles and and in any of the other, amen, the, the, the word of God, anytime he is mentioned as the Son of God, it's talking about the nature of God. He's saying, I am Jesus. The, the words are written in red, Brother Miller. Amen. This is Jesus writing the letter to the church, amen, of Thyatira. And he starts out with this: I'm God. I am the deity. I am the authority. I am the one. If, if you're looking in heaven, which John does, and you see a throne, you're only going to see one throne there. You know why? The Son of God is sitting on that. And no matter what, amen, whether I'm in the flesh or I'm in the spirit or where I, whether I'm your healer or your deliverer or your savior, I, am, I contain within me the very nature of God. That's why. That, that, that's that's a, a amen. Because he is God. He, is the, he takes on his very nature. He is, amen, within him is the ability to create. Within him is the ability, amen, that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He's telling them right off the bat, there's no, there's no mixing words here. I'm in charge. Amen? Praise the Lord. I thought that was pretty cool. Did you? Amen. You'd think it would be cool if I was dismissing, right? All right, we're not, we're not too far away. In his introduction, amen, he lets them know that right off. Verse 19, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Amen. These are really, really strong compliments for Thyatira. Uh, 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 we, we, we would almost consider, amen, Thyatira, if we, if we stopped right there, we would say, man, I, I think that's a model church. Right there. Them folks, amen, they've, they've really got it going on. They, they've got, a, amen, a, um, love and service and faith and patience, amen. And he says, but not only do you have these great characteristics, watch this, but he further compliments them and he says that not only do you have those great things going for you, but they're also increasing. They're getting greater and greater and stronger and stronger. You folks haven't just stopped and doing a little, but every day that you wake up, you try to love more, you try to be more patient, you try to do more service, hallelujah, and, and, and he's commending them for that, amen, and telling them this. In verse 20, though, we read that word again, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel 
who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her immorality, and she did not and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill their children with death and all their churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of them according to their works. It's important to know that Jezebel, this was not the actual Old Testament Jezebel. He was referring to somebody, a, a woman in the church there at Thyatira as a Jezebel. That's like when we refer to somebody as, as a, a Ted Bundy or, or that person as a Hitler or we, we refer to people like that. What he was doing was saying there's a spirit of Jezebel there. There's a really nasty woman that's doing a lot of the things that are pretty common with what Jezebel did, a man in the New Testament. He said she, amen, she certainly had her own issues, amen, but the biggest problem that Jezebel had was that she was purposely misleading people in her ways, amen. She she was kind of in charge. There are some that assume that she was in a pretty important position in that church. And if they, they look at history and they look at the way things were run there. And this woman had declared herself a prophet. This woman was misleading people by saying, I want you to do thus and so because God has told me it's his will. She was sending them, if you will, because the area there in Thyatira, they were a, a big... Um, uh, what, what do they call those whenever when folks trade materials? Um, tapestries and things like that. They, they were into purple dyes and different garments and things like that that they were selling. And that was really popular there. And so they would have these guilds that they would go to. And they would have, uh, if you will, probably something like we would call a swap meet or some kind of something where we could go and shop and look through things. They'd have a meeting, amen, and they would trade and bargain and things like that. So this Jezebel, if you will, this false prophetess was getting the people together of the church and sending them to those guilds, sending them to those places of meeting where trading and things was going on, and knowing good and well that in those places they were worshiping idols, and part of their worship was immorality, amen, and so she was sending them there knowing that they would fall and sin and fail, amen. And so God said that with all of her, amen, said that not only was she the one that was wrong, but the biggest problem that she was for the church there was that she was purposely and intentionally causing people to fail. Amen? So he called that spirit a Jezebel. Here's something that, that is, is, is encouraging to me. Amen? Because, see, we... we we write folks like that off. We write Jezebels off, don't we? Can I get a Wednesday night nod? We write them off. Man, when we start talking about a Jezebel spirit, buddy, we're talking about the devil. We're talking about a devil in the church, right? And what she did was really wrong and really bad. But I want you to notice something. With all of her transgressions and with all of the things that she was doing wrong and causing people to fail and fall, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, not just the Bible, Jesus tells us, and he indicates, amen, that he was willing to show mercy even to her. He said, I gave her a chance to repent. 
I gave her plenty of time, amen. Can I tell you this? Let me, let me make sure that we've learned some lessons from the other churches. We can't compromise. We cannot tolerate a Jezebel spirit, amen. We cannot allow that, amen, to take hold in the church. Any of these, the spirit of Balaam, the Nicolaitan teaching, amen, the spirit of Jezebel, we can't allow any of that. We can't tolerate it. We can't compromise with it. We can't try to, to, to keep from hurting their little precious little feelings, amen. But watch this. We do have to have patience with them. And we do have to give them some time. Jesus himself said, I gave her some time to repent. Somebody that was dragging people to hell. Somebody that was misleading folks. Somebody that was entrapping his saints and his children. Amen. And he said, I gave her some time to repent. But she refused to do it. And so she paid the price. Amen. He said, I'm going I'm to give her a sick bed. In other words, what he was saying was, if you want to lay in a filthy bed, then I'm going to plant you in one. And whoever crawls in bed with you, Jezebel, them folks are in trouble too. But then he wraps that up even to say, but if they repent, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive them and I'll restore them. Amen. Isn't our God awesome? Isn't Jesus so merciful and patient with us? Amen. I'm so thankful for that. I need it. Verse 24, we're, we're coming... We're coming close. I'll be done in 4 or 12 minutes. Verse 24, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira. I love this. I'm encouraged by this. As many as do not have this doctrine, you stayed away from Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. As they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast that you have but hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Look at those two words in verse 25. Hold fast, amen. To those of you that haven't given into Jezebel, to those of you that haven't gone down into the depths of Satan, to those of you that have decided, you know what, the rest of the church can go whatever direction it wants to go as long as it wants to run to gates hell and it wants to get in the pig slop and roll around, amen, with devils and demons and false doctrine and, and misleading teaching and stuff that becomes idolatry and replaces our priorities and, and gets our list all mixed up, amen. For, for Let all them run the he said, there are a few of you in Thyatira that have decided I'm going to hold fast. And I'm going to wait till Jesus comes. Y'all can go and do and say whatever you want to do. But I'm going to wait till Jesus comes. I'm going to believe this thing. I'm going to live this thing. I'm going to teach this thing. I'm going to promote this thing until he comes. Amen. He said, hold fast. Amen. Because you, amen, are, I'm going to give you power over the nations. You know what he was saying? You're Once again, he's saying this. You are on my winning team. You're on my side and I'm on your side and as long as you hold fast everything's going to be alright with you amen I think that's encouraging he said you shall rule verse 27 you shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father and I will give him the morning star this, you, this rod of iron dashing the potter's vessels into pieces, this is a reference to Psalm chapter 2 where the psalmist talked about the Messiah would one day be that rod of iron and he would dash those pots of clay into pieces, amen, and he would let them know that he is going to be victorious, that he is in charge, amen. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. Let's stand. See, I'm done early.